0: Welcome to the Move Forward podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward.
1: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Move Forward podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Moss. And today I have a very special guest with me. His name is Craig Keener and Dr. Craig Keener. He is PhD of Duke University. He's the F.M. and Ada Thompson Professor of Biblical Studies at Asbury Theological Seminary. He is the author of 33 books with more than one million copies in circulation, I have one of my favorites right here: the Gospel in uh, the Spirit in the Gospel and Acts. And I have your whole series, Dr. Keener, on miracles and the Book of Acts commentary, and your IVP. Uh, so I'll get back to your to your <laughs> bio the books have won 13 national or international awards including six in Christianity today these include the IVP Bible Background Commentary New Testament if you're going to study scripture you need that book and major academic commentaries in 2020 Craig was the president of the Evangelical Theological Society and he is married to Dr. Medine. is that how you say it mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Medine Masunga Keener, who was a refugee in her home country of Congo for 18 months. Her experience and their romance appears in Impossible Love, published by Chosen in 2016. And you can find out more about Dr. Keener and his resources on his blog site at Craig Keener, that's C-R-A-I-G, Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R.com. Dr. Keener, it's such an honor to have you here today with me. Thank you so much for joining me.
2: It's It's a blessing to be with you.
1: So Dr. Keener, when you told me, and we're going to pray in just a minute, but when you told me that you would love to talk about being anchored in scripture, I did what I call the happy hallelujah dance, which is what I do. when I'm super excited. When I first met you, I was a part of the very first Randy Clark Scholars cohort with Randy Clark and Roland Baker. And we, we had a discussion when we very first met. and We believed that the Pentecostal charismatic third wave movement needed scholarship in order to ground and found future revivals on the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit because we felt that revivals rise and fall on their theology and we've really wanted sustainability in our movement. And what is sad to me is that right now, according to the Barna polls and statistics, we're living really in a time of biblical illiteracy. So it's imperative right now, and I feel like the Lord is saying that every believer, leader, and non-leader, if we're going to faithfully walk in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to our personal lives, prophecy, healing, and evangelism of the lost, we must get back to scripture in order to regain living by the word of the spirit, recovering worship in spirit and truth, reestablishing the richness of scripture in the life of every believer and restoring the biblical and theological foundations for discipleship because there's a harvest about to be given to the church. So Dr. Keener and I, for those who you are listening, we are going to talk about returning to the word of God. But before we do that, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to be part of this conversation. We honor you, Lord, today. Scripture is God-breathed, and it's your word to us about who you are, about your way with humanity, about, about your goodness and your kindness and everything that pertains to life everything that pertains to jesus and so we love you lord and we love your word and we ask that for your help today in this conversation we ask that you would lead and guide us in every word that is spoken every thought that comes to our mind we submit ourselves to you holy spirit to follow your lead today and father more than anything else we ask that you would be glorified that you would be glorified by how we speak of you and how we revere and honor your word. And Father, I'm asking also that the fear of the Lord would not only be upon us, but it be upon all those who would listen today so that we would honor and respect your word in the way that you would have us do. So we thank you, Holy Spirit. We invite you again in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Dr. Keener. You have devoted your life to the study and teaching of God's word. I have volumes in my library from you. And the heart of your calling is to call people back to his words. So can you tell us about how you got that calling? I would love to hear, did the Lord speak to you? Did he give you a reason for having this call on your life? And so tell us, why is it that you love scripture?
2: Uh, Well, those are two different questions. but Yeah, they are. um, (laughs) When I was... (laughs) When I was a new convert from from atheism, you know, I had no background in in scripture. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't even know the Bible stories. The little kids in San school knew more about the Bible than I did. I mean, two days after my conversion, I started worshiping Him in tongues. I didn't know the Bible talked about that. I didn't know there was a name for it. I didn't know anything. And so, oh my gosh! So I started. Um, there was a point where I just had such a craving that. You know to get to get the flow of the context i started reading 40 chapters of the bible a day if you do that you can get through the new testament every week or through the bible every month and you know i don't do that regularly but i i did that for for a while and you know the the bible memory verses they taught me when i first became a christian i realized oh wow well, it's not just a bunch of blank space in between these verses, you know, (laughs) there's a flow of context. They actually mean something in context. And so that was the beginning and just loving scripture and then realizing, Hmm, there are things I'm missing, things I don't understand. I mean, my translation explains some of the language, but not the figures of speech, not the allusions to things that were going on in the culture. And so I started getting a craving for background and then, you know, eventually wrote the background commentary um, so that other people wouldn't have to spend 10 years digging all that stuff out uh, before they go out and preach. But um, but so that that's that's more addressing my my love for scripture. Um, I, I hear God's God's voice there. I meet God there. Um, yeah, al- although it's also it's also a discipline because sometimes are things I don't understand, but I yeah. study them anyway and tuck them away because. Someday I will understand more of them, or they'll help me to understand something else. So it's all it's all, you know, it, we're so instant gratification oriented in our culture. yeah, we, we are. don't uh, we don't practice the discipline, you know, some people it's like studying the Bible just for their sermon and not not regularly devotionally. Um, but anyway, the 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 other question about how I got my calling, just uh, you know, in prayer, it was I think it was the first year after my conversion. Um, How old were you?
1: How uh, old were you? and were you in another job when this happened?
2: Uh, no, not when it first happened. I was I was um, actually in high school. Oh. I was fifteen when I was converted. Oh. and then uh, I think I was still fifteen when God called me, but it was it was. Sometime after that first calling, that was the calling was April 11th, 1976. But the when he called me specifically to call the church back to the word, I think was sometime later than that. But I had no idea what that meant. I mean, I mean, most of the people in the church knew the word a whole lot better than I did, you know, something God calls us to do or for you know future reference. But it became clearer over the years. And part of it, you know, there are people who are skeptical of Scripture and the miracles in Scripture. And so part of it is me, um, you know, working on that end of it. But also the frustration that I've had, like, the Lord sent me to Bible college. Actually, I turned down a national merit scholarship to go to Bible college because I felt like the Lord wanted me to. And, And there were some people there, they were just, you know, the Lord said, study with them. They have the gift of teaching. So I I learned from them. But there were also other people where they were just teaching traditions that they'd received uh, a lot of times. And, you know, in charismatic circles, at least in the past, we sometimes look down on traditional churches because they had their traditions. But, you know, the issue with tradition isn't whether it's a a tradition that's a thousand years old, or a tradition that's ten weeks old. I mean, it's still, it's still tradition if we're taking it from somebody else and not getting it from, <laughs> from what Scripture says. Everything needs to be evaluated by Scripture. And some of the older traditions, at least, come from people who read the Bible in context. You know, so, <laughs> um, so there were, there were things that I, I got from. Um, there, there were certain, certain ideas circulating and. When I saw, okay, that's not actually what the text says in context, it got me into a little bit of trouble <laughs> with the <laughs> peers and some, um, actually, the, the teachers were pretty gracious. I mean, even if they were adamantly opposed to what I said, they still graded fairly. They were gracious Christians. Wow. And um, As for my peers, you know, we, we were like in our late teens or early 20s, so. Sometimes we fought about things that once we had been out in ministry and had some hard knocks, you know we could we could live with some disagreements a lot better. It was like, Lord, help we, need, we all need your help. so um, but yeah, that, that, the, so the, the meaning of what of what the calling is has just become clearer as the years have gone by and things have fallen into place. I had no idea when the Lord first called me of that, that that would involve a PhD. I thought I was going to go to Bible college for two years and go out and preach. Didn't know I was going to be writing books or anything, but anyway.
1: So interesting what God does with our lives, you know, and, um, But, you know, today, one of the reasons that I a couple of reasons that I wanted to talk to you about the study of scripture and coming back to the word of God is because um, what one of the things that I see in the church and my own experience getting called to uh, called to Bible college and seminary and then doctoral degree um, as a charismatic was being told, you know, that the seminary is a cemetery as though any study of uh, any study at all. You know, will kill your passion and your fire for God, and and that fire that you feel from the Holy Spirit. And I had the opposite experience. Actually, it the more that I studied Scripture, and the more that I uh, was exposed to things like pneumatology and these kinds of things, ecclesiology, all you know, the doctrines. For goodness' sake, I'd been in church for, I'd been in church by this time for. 40 years, you know, I didn't, I didn't get called, you know, that early, but I've been in church. i would never heard the doctrines of the church and, um, and studying the doctrines of the church were just, they just lit me on fire. You know, I just loved hearing the study of, of God, the study of the Holy spirit, you know, study of, of sin. Even I it was, it was uh, fascinating and it just, it felt like it gave my, uh, understanding of who god was depth you know and richness and so i loved all that but today i notice uh because i because i am educated now but i notice that i in some uh places especially you know the, the pentecostal charismatic community often that the holy spirit is my teacher and so we don't need anything, whatever I hear from the Holy Spirit, you know, so we, we do two things, one of two things. We, we either say that something like the spiritual disciplines is really the study of scripture going back to school is religious, which, which somehow means it's some external rule that is dry and dead and not, 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 we shouldn't follow that today, even though she was the church father's by the, by the spiritual disciplines had an intimacy with God that many of us do not enjoy, you know, or they do this, they take, I have your book, but this is the, let's say this is the Bible and they'll go, Oh, you know, I want to get a word from God. And so they do the Bible roulette thing <laughs> where they, they flip open, you know, and they point and they say, Oh, well, that's the word of the Lord for me. And and it's just like, wait a minute. You, you don't that scripture you may be using that scripture in a way that completely is not what that scripture means and and so it's illegitimate so you know what how do you feel about that are you do you hear any of that kind of stuff going on what okay. do you think about that
2: oh yeah yeah and yeah the, the we need the unity of the body of Christ yeah. Paul Paul emphasizes Romans 12 first Corinthians 12 Ephesians 4 we need all the gifts together and we need the gift of teaching and we need the gift of prophecy and we you know we need them all together and so you have some parts of the body of Christ that amputate certain members and some other parts of the body of Christ that pile up the amputated members I mean neither <laughs> neither one is whole in the sense you know we we need we need one another to function ideally as far as the Russian roulette with scripture when I was a really young Christian, this was before I started reading forty chapters of the Bible a day and started reading in context. I was uh, from before my conversion. I was taking Latin, which is I'm really glad I I learned it back. But then, but I didn't know. You know, now I was saved. It was like, why learn Latin? Why study math? Why study any of this stuff? Oh, I just want to study the Bible. So I'm walking home from my Latin class, and uh, I'm I'm like Lord. Don't wanna I don't wanna translate Caesar's Gallic War, which is what I was supposed to be doing. I just want to study the Bible. So I opened the Bible, stuck my finger down, thinking it was gonna say, forsake all and follow me. Instead, <laughs> it said, Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God, what is God's. Now uh, Okay, so I did I did my Latin homework, right? So that was good. The Lord spoke to me through a scripture out of context. It's like it it worked through a poem or you know something else. But that's not the authoritative meaning of scripture. I mean, imagine me going around all the churches and saying, God showed me that this verse means you all need to translate Caesar's Dalig War from Latin. You know, that's not the meaning of the text. Yeah. And so <laughs> Before we preach it, before we apply it in a more general way, I mean, there's a principle there uh, that did apply to that, and it would have applied to a lot of other things besides translating Caesar. <laughs> but the, uh, but but yeah, but the particular application in that setting was not a universal application, and so we need we really need to study scripture in context.
1: So um let me so i have a i have a set of questions that i did send you and so coming back to the word of god you know what what difference is it going to make in our lives why should i care about coming back to the word meaning coming back to the serious study of the word? Let's say I'm I'm just a person in the pew. I'm not a leader. I'm not going to preach. You know, I'm not going to be a Bible scholar. So what does it matter to me?
2: For those who are teaching others, obviously, we have the greater responsibility. Uh, but, But for all of us, I mean, we have access to the Bible. And, you know, there's that prophet in 1 Kings chapter 13, who just listened to what another prophet told him and what the other prophet said wasn't really the word of the lord and the first prophet got himself killed <laughs> so it's important i'm not saying everybody's going to get killed that's not my point but yeah. um but the principle there we 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 really are responsible to you know we thank god for the shepherds god raises up but in the end we're we're responsible to to hear god for for ourselves in in the I believe it's 2 Kings 22. You have an awakening in the land. I mean, they're already starting to do some things. They're they're, you know, Josiah is starting with this moral cleanup. He's a, he's a teenager. He's on fire for Jesus, well, for for the Lord. He didn't know it was Jesus yet, but right. he, he's on fire for God and they're cleaning up some things. They're starting to restore the the temple of the Lord. And then Hilkiah, the priest, finds uh, the book of of the law hidden in the masonry. And and often people did deposit foundation documents in the masonry of of temples. And so he brings it to Shaphan, the scribe. Most people back then couldn't read. But being the scribe, Shaphan could read it, brought it before the king and starts reading it. And the king hears what they should have been doing and hears all the judgments attached about what happens if they don't do it right. And, you know, he could have said, well, oh, I'm glad that I'm at least pious. Or he could have said, huh, well, the Lord hasn't judged us yet. It must be all right. Or he could have just said, well, everybody else around me is doing it this way. It must be okay. But instead he took seriously what the text said. He tore his robes and responded in a radical way to the book and then sent to um, to the prophetess Huldah uh, same way that Hezekiah, a century before, had sent to the prophet Isaiah, who was the leading prophetic figure of that time, well, Huldah is the leading prophetic figure this time, and she prophesies uh, how that book applies to to that situation. So you have the different things working together. Uh, in that case, the the scribe and the um, and the the prophetess and and so on, and that fueled. This this movement of revival, and delayed God's judgment for a generation. It, it wow. didn't keep going, unfortunately, and they did end up getting exiled to Babylon. But for a generation, that judgment wow. was was put off. Coming back to the word makes a life and and death uh, difference. Yeah. And and and. I think sometimes with seminary some people have had a different kind of experience of seminary because it's been just dry information. Yeah. But when when it's part of our encounter with God it's like okay I'm learning about the God that I know that I have a relationship with or I'm 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 learning better ways to understand scripture. Um, not that you have to go to seminary to do that but um but we do have to pay attention to scripture. Again, we like everything instant in our culture. You know, you want you want the microwave dinner, you just slide it into the microwave. And um, you can't do that with scripture. Just a verse here and a verse there. Well, I've always heard the verse quoted this way. It must mean this. With my incoming first-year seminary students, I often will uh, take people's favorite memory verses, and say, okay, uh, now let's look at these in context. Because if I just say, how many of you believe in context? Everybody raises their hand. If we we take their favorite memory verses like, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's the thief? And the majority will say, you know, it's the devil. And I'll say, now, it's true that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Is that what this verse is talking about? And then I give them like two minutes to say, open, open to John chapter 10 and just start reading. And you report back to me in two minutes who it's talking about. And inevitably they realize, oh, it's talking about something different, which I won't, I won't even specify here. I'll just let people look it up. On their own time.
1: <laughs> I'm like, where's my Bible?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just one example. There's so many of those. Right.
1: There, there really are. And I think this, this, that's a really good segue into the next question that I wanted to ask you. What is, you know, we learn big words in seminary, but I think that, I think that everyone ought to know some of these words, you know, Um, but hermeneutics, you know, what, what is hermeneutics and, and why should we care about that?
2: Herman who? Sorry.
1: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Whether people know the word or not, I mean, it comes from a Greek word meaning to interpret. Actually, the interpretation of tongues is from that same same Greek word. Well, so it's Bible interpretation. Actually, hermeneutics can also be used for law or other things. But um, Bible interpretation. The Bible is an inspired book. So yeah. two things in that in that sentence. First of all, it's inspired. So we can hear God's voice there, just like, you know, if I if I know the author of a book, when I read it, I'll often read it with their voice in mind. I, I know kind of what they mean because I, you know, if I read a book by Gordon Fee, I can hear him preaching. I know where there should be an exclamation point, and the editor just took it out, but um. But it's it's an inspired book, that means God gave it to us in a particular format. He gave it to us. In writing uh, by by the time it gets to us. And so there are certain principles that if you know how to read or you even know how to hear, you take into account. And and one of them is context. I mean, that's the way God gave us the Bible. He he didn't give it to us a verse here and a verse there. He gave it to us in, in books of the Bible. And You know, when I, if I'm going to preach from a passage in Matthew, for example, especially like the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, you know, and and he talks about um, in that commission, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. Well, that presupposes, because originally it was given to them as a book, it presupposes that by the time you say teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded you, you're thinking of all the things he's already commanded them in the rest of the book. So. You know we need to we need to read it, it uh, Romans chapter One, where it says he's writing to the saints in Rome or the the consecrated ones in Rome. That means, well, we're supposed to read this as a letter to the to the Christians in Rome. It does speak to us, but kind of the way a case study does. If this is what God said to them in their setting, what is God saying to us in our setting? And that's the respectful way to treat it actually the way it was given to us. It it doesn't mean God God will speak to us less. It means God will speak to us more because we don't just have our favorite verses. We, you know, there there's certain themes running through Romans. And when we read a verse that intersects with that theme, we read it in light of the, the context of, of the rest of Romans and and so on.
1: I think that's I think context is so incredibly important. So can you explain how do we how do we begin to read something in its context? I know that I didn't I didn't actually have that question on our on our paper but I think that context is 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 incredibly important and I'm not sure that people will understand how to read their bible in context yeah. and how to study it that way.
2: Yeah. And there are different levels of context. I mean, one one level of context that I think we charismatics are intuitively good at is we read it in light of our relationship with God. You know, I mean, we, we know the author. <laughs> that's that's really important. Some people don't take that into account when they read the Bible. But the context in the text itself, um, and, and by that I don't just mean the the immediate paragraph, although that's important enough. I mean, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I mean, reading the paragraph would change what we think, how we how we apply that text. Uh, again, not that not that it doesn't apply to the devil, but he's just, I mean, it's it's has a broader application than that. And then when you uh this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. You start back a few verses. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is mm-hmm. the thing that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. <laughs> We're celebrating a particular momentous act of God in history. Now, yeah. it is true. We can, you know, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. So, yeah, the way we often apply that verse is is a true thing, but it's not really what the verse is saying in context. And And... I mean, the parable of the good of the Good Samaritan, uh, no less an authority than than Augustine in the fourth century, he treats that as, you know, well, when the man fell among robbers, uh, why does he why why is he it says he's going down from jericho uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho? Well, that's Adam falling into sin. And who rescues him? Well, the Good Samaritan represents Jesus. Oh, that's really nice. <laughs> it's the right gospel, but that's not the meaning of that text. Because, uh, so I mean, if we're preaching the right gospel, we're we're on the right track. That's a, that's the most important thing. But we're going to miss the meaning of some texts if we don't read them in their context. Jesus in that passage in Luke ten is answering a question by um by a, a lawyer or an expert in the in the law who 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 wants to narrow the category he says who's my neighbor i don't have to love everybody do i and the the point of the parable is that your neighbor might even be a samaritan somebody you don't like ethnically relig- religiously or or in other ways and as far as going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. There wasn't there wasn't really another way to get there from Jerusalem. I mean Jericho was way downhill. But anyway.
1: (laughs) So tell me, what are the when we when we are not in the word and and really getting filled by, you know, getting filled by the word in its context and and what it's saying. I, I think that there are some dangers that happen. So um, one of the things that before we, before we talk about some of the, some of the passages of scripture that are so beautiful when we understand them in in context, Mm -hmm. you know um, I think that this affects prophecy in particular, you know, and of course this is one of the things that I care a lot about because I am a prophetic minister. And so um, but I think that it becomes very dangerous. So can you talk a little bit about that, about the dangers of not not having the word in us and not uh, um, interpreting the word rightly?
2: Yeah. Yeah, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> People who spend more time watching TV than reading the Bible or, or listening to the Bible are that's going to affect the way we think. I mean, Paul talks about the renewing of the mind. It's so important yeah. to, yeah, fill ourselves with, with the word of the Lord. Um, I, by the way, I, I just have such great respect for prophetess. one of my, um, yeah, actually the, the person who I guess most directly influenced me when I f- first prayed for the gift of prophecy and began, uh, Prophesying as a young Christian was the pastor's wife, and she was just a very uh, she was just so full of the Holy Spirit, so sensitive to the Spirit, Um, and she was and she was teaching and preaching about First Corinthians fourteen about seeking the gift of prophecy. So Mm -hmm. I've always had great respect for the Deborahs and Miriams and Huldahs and uh, Annas and uh, your daughters who prophesy and so on. So. Um, but when I, when I first started prophesying, you know, I was, back then I was reading the King James Version. And so the <laughs> prophecies always came out, thus saith the Lord, you know. And, yeah. and then there was a guy later on when I was pastoring, uh, I could tell which version he was reading because his prophecies would always start, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You know, oh. <laughs> so what you fill yourself with is, is but that that also means we're we're kind of a filter. So the the word of the Lord comes to us, the inspiration comes to us, but because it comes through us, it gets filtered. Yes. And there are different levels of prophecy. I mean, there's sometimes where it's like <laughs> I can be so sure. This is I'm. I'm speaking it just really clearly. What what the Lord is saying. And then sometimes when I I have like a hint of it, and I'm going from there. And mm. we need to be able to. I, we need to be able to differentiate when we're supposed to say, "This is what the Lord says." I know some people say you're never supposed to say that, but but yeah. this is what the Lord says. And I feel like the Lord's saying this, or. I feel like the Lord's saying something like this. <laughs> you know, those are those are different levels, and it's it's wise to uh, to take those things into into account. I had a friend. Oh boy, this was I was probably two years old in the Lord, and and she had just become a Christian. She, I think, had graduated from high school maybe a year or two before me. And she, she just became a Christian. And so I started teaching her about hearing God's voice, which I had experienced. It was really, I just loved it. So I go away to my first year of Bible college, and I come back. And Barb, she was hearing God on everything. I mean, she was having visions and stuff. Cool. And I, you know, being f- full of the fruit of the Spirit, I got jealous <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's not the fruit of the spirit but i was like god that's not fair she's only been a christian a year i've been a christian three years and i never had any visions that's not fair and so um, we <laughs> and then when we would meet she would be telling me about all these things and i was like okay this one this one evening we were we were going to be meeting um and going over to the house of another friend and i was like Okay, God, you need to show me something, because you're going to have shown her something, and and I'm going to feel really bad if if you don't show me something really fresh and new. So he showed me a couple of things. It was really cool, and then and then I met with her, uh, and in the car I, I shared with her one of the things God showed me, and she said, "Oh, God showed me that months ago." <laughs> a little competition there, but uh, yeah, but. <laughs> there was a problem i mean i obviously had a problem with jealousy and i was really spiritually mature but there was a problem on her end too and that was she said why should i read the bible they got revelations yeah. i get my own revelations yeah and and why why do i need their revelations and it was like well because you know if you want to keep on track with the holy spirit you need to make sure it's in you know in line within these contours because like first John says, many spirits have gone out into the world. And you know the Bible, yeah. the Bible talks a lot. I mean and it talks about being able to judge prophecy too. First Corinthians 14, 29, 1 Thessalonians right. 5. Now, in, in both of those churches, you're dealing with people who are like one to maybe three years old in the Lord. So they have to use peer review. They didn't really have prophetic mentors when Paul wasn't with them. But uh, in the Old Testament, you had senior prophets who would mentor people, make sure they, you know, like Samuel presiding over the, the, the sons of the prophets, the sons and daughters of the prophets, I guess, in 1 Samuel 19. And then, um, you know, the, the younger prophets being mentored by Elisha and, and um, 2 Kings 4 and, and, and so on. Um, but Anyway, so we get to the house and she and her friends start telling me about their new revelation that they got. Um, So uh, I I don't know if he got it first or she got it first, but they had been reading the Chronicles of Narnia and they got this revelation that we would all become God and then we would go out like Jesus did and become saviors in different worlds. And I said, you know, that's not, that's not in the Bible. And they said, of course, it's not in the Bible. It was only revealed a couple weeks ago. I said, it contradicts the Bible. And they said, well, that's your opinion. You just need to get the revelation. You're not very spiritual. And this went on for a while. And I'm saying like, you know, they're saying, well, it's, it's going to be in the future. Uh, And I said, as far in the future as you look in Revelation 22, we are his servants serving him before his face. And, and they, they were like, well, this is further in the future than that. Eventually, they realized they were wrong. But there's a reason why we have the book of Jeremiah in the Bible. The majority of prophets in his day were saying judgment is not coming. Jeremiah had to stand virtually alone in in the prophetic community and speaking for God and saying, this is what the Lord says. And like he says in Jeremiah 23, the other prophets were stealing their words from each other. And so he, he spoke the word of the Lord in truth. His generation didn't listen to him. But a generation later, three books of the Bible all declare, and when the word of the Lord, according to the prophet Jeremiah, was fulfilled. Well, guess what? In retrospect, everybody knew if those guys wrote books, they don't go in the Bible. This guy's book, <laughs> goes in the bible you know what we have in scripture is tested it's proved mm-hmm. already that's the purpose of scripture it's not to say that this is all god ever said i mean every time yes. god reminds us that we're his children you know the spirit bearing witness with our spirit god is speaking but you know the bible doesn't have to record you know god said to dr kim or god said to, to craig or god said to whoever <laughs> this it, it can just say the spirit of the Lord bears witness with our spirits. So, but we, it, the Bible isn't all that God has ever said. Um, it, you know, Obadiah in 1 Kings 18 tells Elijah that he hid a hundred prophets by fifties in the cave. Their prophecies aren't recorded. You know, God spoke, but but the purpose of the Bible, it's it's what we call canon. It's the measuring stick. It's, it's mm. the minimum that we all agree on, that we can use to evaluate every other claim to revelation or doctrine or anything else. And if we if we don't have that, you know a river is great flowing within its banks. But if it has no banks, it just floods everywhere. Right? And
1: it becomes destructive, right? Yes. And and I think we started with um my time with Randy Clark and the, and the scholars, and you came and visited our class. It was so good. Um, And talking about that a revival will, will stand or fall on its theology because as, as if, if the scripture and the interpretation of scripture is not correct. And they began to teach along those lines, the theology is incorrect. What we believe about God and what we, what we're hearing God say, and it gets it gets further and further off course until it just kills the yeah. move of God. Yeah. And uh, and because God can't continue to honor something that's not his word. Yeah.
2: And, and especially, you know, there's a trajectory. So, you know, if the line is just deviating a little bit, you know, it's mm-hmm. still still close, still right on the most important things. But you keep following that trajectory out further and further. It's going to get... Mm-hmm crazier and crazier, and eventually it's going to lose God's blessing. Right. And you and, and see so, that in history. I mean, a lot of revivals yeah. in history. Um, and, and often, you know, there, there are things that happen in revivals that are just our, our emotional reaction sometimes to the Holy Spirit. And, and they're not wrong. But sometimes one generation's experience becomes the next generation's tradition, becomes the next generation's legalism and what we needed weren't those traditions, of those experiences in the past. What we needed was the, the Holy Spirit Himself, who, who brought the revival. I mean, the, I, I think Roland said this. This is actually the summary of one of his books. That real revival is Jesus. You know, it's not. It's not the shaking. It's not the dancing. Uh, not the. Not that it's wrong to shake or dance, but the the. The uh, I like to yeah. I mean, sometimes you just can't help. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> but, but, what what is it's really about is about Jesus and Jonathan Edwards, who was a leader in the first Great Awakening in the U.S. Mm-hmm. As the Spirit was being poured out then. You now his theology was very different from the Wesleys, where God was pouring out the Spirit there. I mean, in certain ways, yeah. the, their theology was quite different, but but they're on the same track with the gospel and God was pouring out the spirit both ways. First great awakening, second great awakening and, and so on. But, um, one thing Jonathan Edwards observed was, you know, you can have the visions and the falling down and so on, but yeah, um, they can be, it can be God working or sometimes people are just working themselves up into something, how you know for sure whether God has touched them. That's how they act when they get up, uh, if their lives are are changed, the the fruit of the spirit and and how God empowers us and works through us.
1: Exactly right. That's so good. So, uh, excuse me. So we are, we've talked a lot about this and I know we could talk more about it, but I, my mom used to say, I I know I wrote you about this, but my mom used to always tell me, Kimmy, because, you know, I've always been a little bit of a direct kind of (laughs) girl, but she'd say, Kimmy, now you get more with honey than with vinegar. (laughs) And what what she meant by that, of course, is that, um, you know, sometimes you can spank people and um, and they don't learn much. But if you mm-hmm. if you draw them, if you if you if you speak to their desire, you know, so I call that creating hunger. And mm-hmm. I I have used that uh, in in relationship to drawing my grandchildren closer to, you know, me and the things that, that, uh, I do for the Lord and closer to Jesus, you know, and, but creating hunger, I think is a, is an important way. And I want to create hunger today, um, to the word about create hunger for returning to the word of God and I think the best way of doing that really is to talk a little bit about scripture Mm -hmm. and, and some mind, some of the treasure there is Mm -hmm. there. I literally, you and I both know this, Dr. Keener, because we, we have, we have studied scripture for a long time, but I, I can return to the same passage over and over and find new things and be so, um, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes, wow, I feel the Holy Spirit right now, but I, mm-hmm. sometimes I can be reading a passage of scripture and just want to fall on the floor for the wonder of mm-hmm. what God is saying mm-hmm. uh, in, in scripture. And, and of course it's the inspiration and that the Holy Spirit is real and the word is alive, you know, and active, but, but also just for f- discovering something new about what how he loves me or his the magnificent glory of God or the just the wonder of Jesus and what he has done for us and so when I when I met you and i and i had and i had had this book the spirit of gospels since i was in seminary so before uh, several years before i went for my doctorate but you came in and you talked to us about about the passage of scripture in john 14:3 and many mansions and we all there's 18 of us getting our doctorate we all know scripture. We all love scripture. And we all sat there with our mouths open because we had never heard what 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 the word really means when Jesus says he's going to prepare, he has many mansions to prepare. And I, and it, it was it was one of those aha moments, you know, we call that the agogic moment where you you're inside, your spirit leaps and you go oh, that's what you're saying through this. And it was so beautiful. And I I would love for you to give that little talk. You know, I would love, to, I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> I'm going to ask, would you, would you do that? A little Bible study with us and talk to us about that passage of scripture and what it really means. I think that people, it will create a hunger for people to study, study, Practice the discipline of study of the word of God. Oh, and one last thing before I be quiet and and leave you for the rest of this um, is that I remember in being being blown away when I was in seminary in the beginning, the first time I went to school, when I heard that the study of scripture is one of the highest forms of worship, because I don't think we understand that. In in right now, you know, with all the biblical illiteracy, how could we? If we knew that it honored God to study Scripture, you know, that it was worship to study Scripture. So, could you talk about that first, and then will you do the little Bible study for us?
2: Sure. If, if I if I remember the the right sequence, uh, but yeah. Or
1: any any passage, whatever. If you're studying something else and you want I'm to wrong share wrong. it with us, but yeah.
2: Oh, we could go on forever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we could. There's always more, there's always more. It's it's, it's so, always so more. wonderful. I mean, we can be hearing from God every day. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of um it being it being worship, it's it's true because I mean you read the Psalms, and the Psalms will sometimes go from speaking to God to speaking for God. Um, Psalm 46, Psalm 91. Um, moving between worship and prophecy is very common in scripture because it's the same spirit who inspires both. Uh, First Chronicles 25, you know, uh, they prophesied in giving thanks and praise to the Lord. These were the officially appointed uh, worship leaders in the temple. Uh, they, they were prophesying. And a lot of the Psalms came out of that, that experience in the temple. So in the, uh, in hearing God in prophecy, that's one way we hear from God. We also hear from God from what he's already spoken in scripture. And as we engage it, sometimes people think, uh, actually, I thought this as a young Christian, because I thought my mind led me astray before I was a Christian. shouldn't use my mind, just get the revelation in my spirit. Right. But, you know, Romans 8, where it's where Paul says, god's spirit bears witness together with our spirit earlier in the same chapter speaks of having the mind of the spirit versus Mm -hmm. the mind of the flesh talks about the renewing of the mind in romans chapter 12 Um, philippians about thinking on the right things you know there's there's so much about uh, the mind that we miss that's that's right there in scripture proverbs is full of you know seek wisdom, seek knowledge, be diligent in seeking it. Sometimes we're not diligent enough <laughs> in seeking it. So
1: didn't you write a book? Didn't you write a book, The Mind of the Spirit?
2: I did write a book on the mind of the spirit.
1: You I have that somewhere. Yes. So if you are interested, those of you are listening, because I can feel the hunger already. But uh, the mind of the spirit, Dr. Keener has written a book called The Mind of the Spirit.
2: Yeah, I mean, both, God gifts both. I mean, it's like in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul speaks of praying in tongues as praying with one's spirit. He speaks of interpreting tongues as praying with one's understanding and singing with the spirit, singing with the understanding. But both, going back to 1 Corinthians 12, both are gifts from God's spirit. So God's spirit works both through our spirit and through our mind. And that was something the Lord had to teach me so that I didn't feel guilty for studying because the way I, the way I, you know, internalized some wrong stuff. And one day I was praying and God said, you need to, I want you to understand this with your mind. I said, Oh no, God, we're not. I was so disrespectful as a young Christian. And so he flashed you like know. 10 scriptures into my mind at once. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh, you're right. But <laughs> like, Like that should be a surprise. But anyway, um, so and also I did a book called Spirit Hermeneutics. But what we're talking about here basically is what that book is about in that the, the spirit guides us in interpreting scripture, but the spirit will guide us with the meaning of scripture in continuity with the meaning he inspired in it to begin with. Mm -hmm. At the very least, it has to mean what he inspired it to mean to begin with. So at least we should start there. Yes. (laughs) uh, So anyway, but yeah, in terms of people, people wrong approaches to scripture justified slavery, have justified the silencing of women, have have, uh, justified the cessation of spiritual gifts. Yes. Uh, and, and they've also been used to justify preaching false gospels and, and preaching the true gospel in inadequate ways. So, uh you know, in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, gifts that God gave to the church include apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. We need all those for the for the building up of the saints, well, to to equip the this you know all believers for for the work of ministry that we all have. But one thing that apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers have in common is we all are giving the word, sometimes in different ways. Uh, prophets are giving the word of the Lord. Uh, evangelists are giving the word, the gospel. Uh, yeah. But you know you can not everybody preaches the gospel quite accurately. I mean, the way it was normally preached when I was a young Christian was you accept Jesus as your savior and then you learn to make him Lord sometime later. That's not that's not the good news of the kingdom of God. That's that's not the good news of Jesus Christ being Lord. It's, you know, what he saves us from is our sin. So, I mean, it's, it's all one package. I mean, it's true. We don't immediately live perfectly on our conversion. Like, at least I didn't, but... Um, I don't know if uh, other people sins, but, um, but the gospel is, as we study scripture, we'll understand even the gospel more, more accurately, uh, how to, how to explain it more, more accurately, how to communicate it more accurately. And, and obviously pastor teachers, I mean, that's right at the heart of what they're supposed to do. I mean, the, First Timothy, 2 right. Timothy, and, and Titus, you know, elders and church leaders are supposed to be able to teach. That's a requirement for them in, in all of those cases, and First Timothy and 2 Timothy are both clear that um, significant basis for that teaching is Scripture. Uh, I say a significant basis because they were also teaching from the Gospel, which wasn't written down in Scripture yet, <laughs> all of it, but anyway... Um, but yeah, sorry, I need to get back to John. That's okay. 14. The charisma, yes. Yes, yes. So in John 14, now the way it's often been interpreted, again, this isn't one that will... I mean, it's true. I mean, I'm sure we, in heaven we'll have really nice places. I, <laughs> I'm not trying to argue against that. I, I had one student say, no, I need this for funerals. I'm like, well, it's... If it applies to us in this other way, it certainly applies to us when we're dead too, but that's not the point in context. So in my father's house are many, the, the King James says mansions, and so a lot of our songs say mansions. Back when the King James was translated, mansions meant something a little bit broader than what it means today. The, the, Greek, the Greek word there, and you see this in newer translations, it just means dwelling places or or sometimes translated rooms, or something like that. But I'm sure they're very nice. But what does it mean in my father's house are many are many of these dwelling places? <clears throat> and people just assume it's heaven because that's the way we've always heard it. Okay. And, and there's a sense in which that's true. Uh, heaven is a throne, earth is a footstool. <clears throat> but you, you look in John's Gospel, John chapter 2, the temple is God's house. John chapter 8, verse 35, we are his household. Uh, We are the house of of God. So what does it actually mean in John 14? Well, we need the context to figure that out. So in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a a place for you? Well, when I go, I'll, I'll prepare this place so that you can be with me where I am, and you know where I'm going, Uh, you know where I'm going, and uh, Thomas, I think it was Thomas, asks him, well, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way, right, and and, I mean, that's the question we all should have asked, because we need the context figured out, well, Jesus goes on to explain what he means by it, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Mm. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, is that a second coming verse? Is that talking about how we come to the Father through Jesus of the second coming? Or is that a salvation verse? Well, I think it's a salvation verse. I think it's 14.6 we we quote in context. So we find out where Jesus is going. He's going to be with the Father. Um, and how do we get there? Through Jesus, and when do we come to Jesus? Well, when we are converted, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we come to the Father through Jesus, Yeah. and therefore we're in his presence, and what does he mean by he's saying, I'll I'll come again, I'll receive you to myself? Obviously, yeah, he is going to come again in the future, but this is in John 14, and every mention of coming again in john 14 through 16 is talking about him coming again after he rises from the dead and then he breathes on them like god breathed them into adam the breath of life he breathes into them says receive the holy spirit so he he's promising them i i won't i won't uh, leave you as orphans i'll i'll, I'll come to you and I'll give you another helper or another counselor, another um, advocate. It's translated different ways. But um, I don't want to go into all the meaning of that because I'll digress too far from what I'm talking about. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll give him to you so that, so that he may be in you yeah. forever. And he says in verse 23, I and the Father will come to you and make our dwelling within you. Now, it's the same Greek word that's used in verse 2, where he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. That particular Greek word is used only twice in the entire New Testament. And it's in those two verses in the same context. Chances are it means the same thing in those two verses. And then you've got the verb <clears throat> a kind of form of that used in the context, abide in me or dwell in me, and I in you. You know, we're branches in the vine. And so, you know, as long as we cling to the vine, we're gonna bear fruit because the life of the vine is coming through the vine, and it's in us as the branches, because we dwell in him. So in my father's house are many dwelling places, where my father is. In, in my Father's presence, there are many places to dwell. And Jesus goes to make a place for us in God's presence. And he he comes back. He gives the disciples the Holy Spirit so that um, the Father and Jesus come and make their dwelling place within us. He dwells in us. We dwell in him. So the beginning of John 14 is not talking about something we get just after we die. We're not talking about something we get just at the same point. I mean, obviously, we're going to have it even more fully there. The New Jerusalem Revelation is shaped like a cube, which is the shape of the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. So we'll be in his presence without distraction forever and ever. But even now already, it's just like, you know, once you're born again, that's being born is the beginning of life. Eternal life has already begun, you know. So in the same way, He's come to make our, his dwelling within us. So the same Lord Jesus who is, who, who washed his disciple his disciples' feet that, that night uh, in the in the previous chapter in John 13 is the same Lord Jesus who's with us at this very moment. Who will be uh yeah, who's who's with us when we're eating and sleeping, and you know, whether we realize it or not, God Himself lives inside of us. So we may as well realize it. I mean, when I was a young Christian, again with my uh, you know we as Pentecostals, we talked about praying through a lot and so trying to i don't I don't know if everybody else had this wrong, but the way I kind of had it was I was trying to work my way up into his presence and maybe after an hour I'd feel worthy to, um, to, to but no, we can just start. don't waste an hour. <laughs> we already have full access he's, he's in us
1: yeah so that makes me a mansion yes yes which that that so touched me it's it still does really is very moving to me that i'm one of the many mansions yes.
2: you know
1: and i i love i i never forgot that you taught us that thank you for doing that because that 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 is so meaningful to me you know i'm not waiting to go to my 50,000 square foot house <laughs> which our possessions won't have really any meaning it's such a it's a thing right it's but but it's me it's it's me that he's preparing because he wants to live in me and i become we become the many mansions that he is dwelling in it i am that it's astounding really it's astounding
2: 1st corinthians 3:16 1st corinthians 6:19 and ephesians 2 i mean we are we are his temple we are his yeah. dwelling place and in 2nd corinthians 5 um, you know if if our earthly tabernacle is dissolved we have we have a, a tabernacle from heaven uh, the, our, our, our new body. We're going to be. We're going to be resurrected with a new body. But Paul doesn't say we will have. He says we have, because wow. in that context he speaks of w- we are. You know, it's guaranteed. It's like we already have it because yeah. we have the. He says the bone of the spirit. Arhabon was a word that was used in ancient business documents for a down payment, the actual first installment. <sighs> He says we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit. It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, eye is not seen nor ear heard. Neither should entered the human heart the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But, he says, they've been revealed to us by the Spirit. You know, yeah. Words can't even describe what awaits for us, but we have a foretaste of that in the experience of the Spirit that's already available to us. John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus, he's been talking about his sheep hearing his voice. He says, my own know me, even as the father knows me, and I know the father. Well, I've obviously, we don't know yet as we are known in the sense of, you know, completely understanding. I mean, all the ages of eternity, it'll, it'll I mean, we'll still be seeking, Ephesians 2, I think, suggests, seeking to fathom ever more deeply that the, the, marvel the wonder of god's love revealed to us in the cross because the infinite sacrifice from the, from the infinite depths of god's heart um but i mean there's 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 so much but even though we we don't have the we haven't embraced the fullness of that yet mm-hmm. it's still true what he said that My own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. It's Old Testament covenant language for being in covenant relationship with God. And it's a relationship that God has established with us from his end. In the incarnation, Jesus made God known. In the cross, Jesus made God available. And in the resurrection by the Spirit, Jesus has made God dynamically present in our lives. And... Now, John 15:15, 15, 15, Jesus says, "These these things, you know, I've I've told you, whatever I've heard from the Father. I, I called you friends because I've told you whatever I've heard you from the Father. That was a major quality of friendship in the Greco-Roman world was you would share share things in confidence, share your secrets with one another. Yeah. Of course, in the Old Testament, it talks about God sharing intimate things, like with Abraham in Genesis 18, or you know, God does nothing except he, he reveals it to servants, the prophets in the book of Amos. So um, he 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 says, "I've called you friends, but lest we think that that was only for the disciples at that time, chapter sixteen, he comes back and he says, and when and when he comes, when the when the um, Paracletas the advocate comes, he won't speak on his own initiative, but he will speak whatever he hears which means that we who have the Spirit get to hear, just like Jesus heard from the Father, the Spirit hears from Jesus and communicates that to us so that our relationship with him can be as intimate as the Mm -hmm. disciples had when he was there in the flesh. I mean, I I really am looking forward to seeing him more. but, um, But the access we already have to him that's oh, beautiful. He's so much with us. And it's his grace. We definitely didn't earn it. I mean, we we need to walk in his commandments and keep on track to to keep hearing him. Uh that's that's on our end. But uh but he's the one who gave us this relationship. And from his end, we we have we have full access.
1: Wow, that's so powerful. That is so powerful, and what a what a beautiful place for us to, I we've been through such a hard time Yes. and we're in such an extraordinary historical moment. Yeah. And uh if we ever needed to know that we have intimacy, intimacy with Jesus and have full access, we need it now. But, but Dr. Keener, I know that you also hear from the Holy spirit and I ask every one of my guests, the same thing at the end, because this is the, move forward podcasts and I care about prophecy. But what are you seeing for our time right now? And what would you say to my listeners about about it and how to be encouraged in in it and what you're seeing prophetically for this time? Thanks.
2: For years I've been hearing the judgment is coming and the church isn't ready. Not that the judgment is on the well uh in the in the most precise sense, not that the judgment is coming on the church, but <clears throat> I mean it affects us. And so yeah. I I remember one time probably back in the sometime back in the eighties, probably around eighty-five or so, the Lord said that sometimes and, and I hadn't realized this, but that Sometimes here we would hear about you know, earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and famines and all these things happening, persecution, other parts of the world and say, well, those are other parts of the world, but not here. And God was like, the church in the U.S. is arrogant because you think you're better, that there's a reason why it can't happen to you, even though it can happen to them. And he said that the time was coming when he was going to strip us of the things that we value so we could learn to value what really matters. And, and in many parts of the world, the church has, has discovered that through, through suffering. Jesus is the only thing that's worth everything. Yeah. Jesus is worth everything else. and If we have to lose everything else for Jesus, he's worth it. I mean, he says that over and over again to his disciples. And, yeah. and you know, they they thought they were doing pretty good till the part came about taking up the cross and following him. And that's, that's <laughs> when uh, the Romans had to draft the bystanders, Simon of Cyrene, to do what the disciples weren't there to do. Um, so it is understood that sometimes we, it's not like he, he has abandoned us um, yeah. But, but I, I also there was a time, you know, early on I figured, okay, well, we probably got like somebody asked me, g- give me a date when this is going to happen. You know, I was thinking of a couple of years. This was back in the '80s, you know. So,
0: yeah.
2: Um, and and actually, I felt it really heavily in the early '70s, and then I started feeling it again, maybe in the mid '80s or something. I don't know. But we all. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 9, we we know in part, so that covers our teaching, we prophesy in part, and that means we're, we're all fallible, and we all can use correction sometimes, and so, you know, I wasn't able to give the, you know, the guy said, give me a date when this is going to happen, and I... I think I was just like two years old in the Lord, and I tried to come up with a date. He said, You're guessing, which was true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he he caught me, but you know, but usually in scripture they it didn't happen that way. Usually in scripture right. you just hear what's coming so you can prepare for it and get ready right. for it. And so it you know, for me to say this is coming isn't to say this is the only thing that's coming. I mean, other people may have heard other things. I'm not saying that they're wrong, but we need to have not just mega churches of people. I mean, mega churches are great. The Jerusalem church, they had their mega church meeting yeah. in the temple as well as their small groups in the homes. So I'm not against mega churches, but we need to not just have lots of people. We need to have people who are firm in the faith enough that when hard times come, they can stand, they can persevere. Yes. Because what's going to matter in the end. Is what's in the end. Agree. I
1: see. I see some hard things coming, and I have felt like the church was not ready, yeah. and that uh, those of us who do teach <clears throat> and preach and prophesy needed to help prepare the church. One of the things um, that uh, that I that I have just recently spoken to, I just, I just, uh, my second book has just got published about the way of the kingdom and it's about the kingdom of God suffers violence, but yeah. it's my, uh, it's my first very, very, uh, simple step mm. for the average Christian of going back to the real gospel and, and, and it includes in it a chapter that had some. Very, very simplified theology of suffering because I think it's missing from the church. I think that we have forgotten in some ways that death has lost its sting, <laughs> you know, and that death, death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. It's actually only just a new beginning of the next chapter, you know, the eternal chapter and um, and that Jesus is worth our very lives.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. And That's there are
1: a, people in parts of the world who lay down their lives yeah. on a regular, you know, and our Facebook. We, we're we going through that right now, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And uh, so you were going to say something, Dr.
2: Right. Keener. Roland and Heidi can certainly speak to that. Yes. And, and I spend a lot of time in northern Nigeria. And so I there's a lot of martyrs there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, e- even here in the U.S., I mean, back in the, I think it was still in the 70s. Yeah, I haven't been beaten for a long time, but the, the, back in the you know when I was a young Christian, sometimes I would get beaten for my witness or have my life threatened here in the U.S. And uh, yeah, uh, in in my in my wife, she was a war refugee for eighteen months. As is a Christian, she and her her family. Um, it's not something to be scared of, though. I mean, it's yeah. It's I mean, it was a horrible experience going through it, but they saw God's faithfulness through it. Yeah. And it's not like they would volunteer to go through it again or that they would volunteer the sure. first time through. But you don't you don't seek those things out. But no. the spiritual growth that comes, uh, you know, if you want to seek something out, you can always fast. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but 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 y- usually we get there are enough trials but you look at the seven churches of asia minor you know there were some churches there that i mean sardis is a dead church it's said to be a dead church called to awaken to return to the first things that they heard so yes. calling them back to the word wake up go back to the uh, and then then uh, the church in laodicea was so self-sufficient that you know they weren't relying on jesus they, they had blended into the values of their culture. Laodicea was a wealthy banking community and the church, they, they absorbed those values. Like, I am rich. I have need of nothing. But Laodicea had a really, <clears throat> their water supply was terrible. People said all sorts of bad things about their water supply. And Jesus says to them, you're like the water that you always complain about. You make me sick. You make me want to spit you out my I love I discipline be be zealous therefore and turn to me and I'll come in and, and and sup with you so you have churches like that you have other churches where there are false prophets uh, balaam and Jezebel which is probably not what their parents named them but they they're symbolic names, and they're, they're teaching people it's all right to compromise with sexual immorality or, or food off yes. the idols. You know, you can just blend into the values of the culture, and then you've got two churches that were not, n- nothing bad was said to them, and they were both the suffering churches. They were in Smyrna and Philadelphia. In mm-hmm. one case, he says, um, I'm going to deliver you from this suffering, and the other case, he says, be faithful to death, and I'll give you the crown of life. And we don't always know why it's one way with one and one way with another. But all of the churches are told the same ultimate thing. All of them, whatever their different situations, are called to overcome. Some of the churches, they were faced with the test of persecution. Some of them were faced with the the test of compromising with the values of the same world system that was killing their brothers and sisters elsewhere. But all are called to overcome and so whatever our test is you know we may look at, at our brothers and sisters uh, in Myanmar right now or our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria or you know so many other places in the world in, in Haiti at this moment um, uh, yeah. so much suffering and we may say I couldn't endure that test we don't get to choose which, which test we're going to get but are we enduring the tests that we have here of not being distracted from the Lord by the values of the world around us, Mm. by, by what we can get from social media or what we can get from the world's entertainments, or, you know, are we totally sold out to Jesus in our contexts? In Revelation, you know, beyond the seven churches, you have a tale of two cities in a sense. You have Babylon portrayed as a prostitute. And you have the new Jerusalem portrayed as a bride. And, those who are willing to forego the temporary gratification of the prostitute, those who are willing to not live according to the values of the evil empires of this world are the ones who will be pure, who, will, who live to be the bride of Christ. And so we have the choice, which is our city, the Babylon of this world, or the new Jerusalem that's promised to us in the world to come. Those of us who have faith to believe in that new Jerusalem are gonna keep our robes pure and ready for the coming of our Lord.
1: Wow, that is so powerful. Would you pray for us? And we will we will close on that note and that powerful thought and word. Yeah.
2: Father, thank you for your grace. It's all your grace all your grace that you have brought to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, through him being handed over for us and you raising him from the dead. God, thank you for your love for us, your magnificent love. We pray that you will open our ears to hear your voice, and we pray that you will ground us in your word, take us deeper and deeper, in your word, deeper in understanding, deeper in the different ways you've given us to share your word with others. Make us please what you've called us to be, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, and all the other members of the body of Christ that that we all need to be whole together from, from one another. Thank you, Lord, that you live in us. And Father, I pray that the same gift That you've given me in your word that you'll give to those who are hearing me those who are listening to me and as the psalmist said you've made me wiser than my teachers i pray you'll make them wiser than me and i pray that you will carry on your work and spread your work throughout this world we are your servants and we we yearn for you we honor you and we lay down our lives for you as living sacrifices, we, we submit to you. We recognize our need for you. You are our life. And our lives are hidden with Christ in you. Transform us, please. Make us what you've called us to be. And I pray these things in the name of your Son, in whose name we're so honored to be welcome to pray. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, I know that many of you have been very moved by the things that we talked about today. And if you want to read more, if you want to find out more about Dr. Keener, you can go to his blog site craigkeener.com and there are things there for you to read that you can get uh you can find out uh the books that he has written and you can purchase his books and and i encourage you to do so thank you dr keener for coming on my show i'm so honored to have you and i was so thrilled that you said yes to me (laughs) thank you for being here it was marvelous marvelous
2: you were really hard to turn down. Especially (laughs) that second email, it was just... (laughs) (laughs) I'm so
1: glad. I'm so glad, and I hope you'll come back again sometime when you have more time, and we can talk about other things. Because I have a million questions that I would love to ask you and uh, let our people hear. But, but I'll let you off the hook for now. I won't make you. I won't make you give me a date right now. But I will be in touch again. So, everybody who's listening, thank you for joining us on the Move Forward Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim Moss, and we've been talking to Dr. Craig Keener. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you back again next time. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward.